Halloween, everyone. This is Jeff from Garden of Doom, and I'm really pleased to be here on this special spooky day for a spooky crossover simulcast edition with the Inhuman Experience. Joining me here is Bobby Blades and the Bobby Anthem. Fellas, why don't you say hello to the the spookasoids or whatever we're going to call the crowd today? <laughs> Wait, how do I get a V? <laughs> the, the what? The what? You, 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 me, uh, it's probably best if we don't re- revisit the word I used and uh, the V I don't know it just came to me man I'm that creative <laughs> the one and only Bobby Anthem if uh, anybody is impersonating Bobby Anthem on Facebook please stop we are issuing a <laughs> cease and desist right. apparently apparently I have a doppelganger but what is happening man yes we are here in the garden we got the inhumans back in the garden mishmashing it up for Halloween Dr. Freakenstein and my ace. I forgot my name for a moment there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm always caught off guard. It never fails. Yeah, man. Apparently we're pros at this, man. But, um, you know, we, we, we got the call from Jeff. Jeff said, hey, let's do this thing. And we're like, you know what? It's a special occasion. Let's make it happen. Yeah, it's Halloween. There's no trick-or-treating. Uh, we're staying in our house. Most of our cities are still in the red, so why not? Yeah, and really, Bobby Blades, Blades is the perfect last na- name for Halloween. Yeah, and, you know, I could always dress up in my hakama and my hori and uh, put a sword on my side and just walk outside and be a ronin for Halloween. Sure, I would take Bobby Blades over Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to stab anybody, though. Oh, okay. Well, maybe Michael Myers. Or at least Mike Myers. (laughs) I want sharks with freaking laser beams. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, everyone, by now you've figured out that this is pretty much an impromptu thing. It was partly my little surprise, and I conscripted these gentlemen to help me out with it. Um, But it is Halloween, and I got to thinking what's going on about Halloween? It seems like, you know, Garden of Doom and Inhuman Experience both explore concepts and themes that seem spooky and otherworldly, exploring the demon realm, if you will, and that seems very Halloween-y, so why not do an episode? So I did a little bit of research. I actually got here backwards, but I'm not going to say why, because that's going to spoil another episode that I'm planning, as it turns out, as is often the case, that the the fellows here are also planning an episode similar on their show as well. I don't know if that will be a crossover or we'll just do a, we'll do like a Monday Night War or a Wednesday Night War thing and we'll do the <laughs> same show and compete. Um, so anyway, so I looked at it and we're going to start with the, the what probably most people are familiar with and that is, you know, the Eurocentric uh, legends of Halloween. So Halloween, most people associate it with the Celtic festival of Samhain. 
I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm not Gaelic. I don't speak Celt, but uh, that's probably close enough. So that's what I've always heard. We okay, great. On that. This is this is amazing. So, so oh, we were. Yes, it's a, it's actually called uh, Sawin. Oh, uh, wow, pronounced very good. Pronounced like that. So yeah, we got corrected on that last year. Sawin. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. Sawalheem. Well, okay, that, that's fine. So if we say Samhain or Sawalheem, audience, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, we're, we're going to eventually get to Halloween, so that'll be easy. Unless that's pronounced Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so everyone probably associates it with bonfires and druids and wearing animal skins and, and things like that. And why is that? Well, it is what you think it is. It's to ward off ghosts and evil spirits, but actually, really, ghosts. And there's a reason for that, too. So let's back up a little bit. And who were the Celts? So most of us think about the Celts as the people who populated the British Isles um, before the Saxons invaded. And after the Saxons came the, the, the Romans, and then came the Normans, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Um, actually, the Danes were in there in, in the middle. So around 2,000 years ago, the, the United Kingdom and northern France were occupied primarily by the Celts. But the Celts didn't start there. So this is a little bit Halloween-y as well. The, the Celts actually, as far as historians can tell, started sort of in the, the Balkan area, sort of in the, the pits of the Danube, which is a, if anyone doesn't know, is a European river which sort of meanders its way basically westerly uh, northwesterly throughout Europe, uh, Central Europe going up into Germany so they know that the Celts basically followed the Danube and then headed west because the Celts had a very specific tradition which is also sort of Halloween-y and that is that they built wicker men to hold their prisoners and often burn their prisoners so traces of burnt skeletons and wood in wicker man shapes and then wicker boxes and anything you can think of, including what you saw in Pirates of the Caribbean, um, they were able to trace the sort of the path of the Celts who, you know, maybe they were following the river. Maybe they were being chased by people who were tired of their friends and family being burned in wicker men. But whatever the reason, they ended up uh, in northern France and the UK. So around 2,000 years ago, um, that's sort of when history, or recorded history, started catching up with the Celtic tradition. And it has a lot to do with the Romans coming and successfully conquering most of the British Isles around 43 AD. And then they ruled over Britain for 400 years, or around 400 years. So, as the Romans are wont to do, they allowed people to practice most of their own religious customs, but they would have them take Romanized names and use Romanized gods. The Romans obviously converted to Christianity, I think it was around 100 AD, uh, and Catholic uh, is most associated with Rome, still is, but at the time, Catholic 
actually means universal. There was only one Christian church, so it was Catholic. Uh, lowercase c later became uppercase c when there were Protestants, when there were other kinds of Christians, which is only partly true because there were there were always other kinds of Christians, but they were considered sects. The Ascends, the Cathars, you've probably heard of some of those. So anyway, we don't want to get too, too much into that kind of history, but so, but the Romans are sort of our historians here. Um, but the interesting part is that it was always this, this festival time, sort of the separation between summer and winter and light and darkness, the end of the harvest. And the legend was that this was the time of year when the fabric between the worlds, between death and light, life, not light, were the thinnest. So the ghosts would come, and that's what all the dancing was, and that's what the bonfires were for. It was to keep away the ghosts. And the druids were considered the strongest then and the most powerful there. Oh, we just got Sawin is the actual pronunciation. Uh, there we go. Which is terrific, except that now we are going to skip a little bit ahead to the 8th century, where Pope Gregory III, obviously a Catholic pope, designated November 1st All Saints Day. So we now have All Saints Day, and October 31st, of course, was called All Hallows Eve, which became Halloween. So there was always these festivals the night before, because the night is the scary time. That's when you had to, you know, gather in your group around the fire to get brave, and I guess you have the prophecies, but it's probably mostly just to feel comfort and strength in numbers. And then Samwin, as we've just learned, or Sawin, uh, became All, Sa All Saints Day, and the festival the night before was All Hallows Eve. So we know hallowed means sacred. Mm -hmm. Basically, hallowed ground is sacred ground, blessed ground. Some say Jesus H. Christ, the H stands for hallowed. I'm not sure if that's Correct or not? Uh, I thought it meant hamburger. Uh, really hamburger. Did. That makes sense, too. I mean, hamburgers are beautiful. And I'm a vegetarian, so that's... Uh, oh, well, then that makes it true. You're also, <laughs> uh, you're also a PhD in Anunnaki. <laughs> the funny thing is we're going to get sort of there in a little bit. So, anyway, we talked about how the, the date marked the end of summer and the end of the harvest and the beginning of winter. And, you know, winter's dark. Dark is associated with death. And we talked about the, the blurring of the worlds and the ghosts coming to Earth the night before. Uh, we talked about the Druids and how their predictions and their powers were, were considered the strongest at this time. And that, you know, sacrifices were offered, which is tied into the costumes, which were normally animal skins, including their heads as well. The bonfires were ignited. Uh, and then they used the embers of those bonfires to actually light the hearth fires in their homes and halls, which was both symbolic and real protection against both cold and dark. So the European tradition, of course, migrated overseas to America slowly because, you know, the United States of America, uh, well, you know, the colonies first uh, started mostly with Puritans, and that tradition lasted for a long time. We all know about the Salem Witch Trial, 
and all of that lovely history. We also know about the lovely history of slavery. And interestingly enough, this ties into our little story of Halloween as well, um, because Halloween took root in the South more slowly than in some of the northern neighbors. Uh, and actually, Maryland, which is where I am, is listed as the first state where Halloween or colony where Halloween sort of took off. Well, it was a state by then because um, we still had the Puritan tradition in New England. But a lot of Halloween closely overlaps, perhaps accidentally, with West African traditions and what people often think of as voodoo or Santorini, uh, which uh, Santeria rather, which uh, Santorini is an island. Um, but uh, it, it, those are sort of mergers of Catholicism, Western African traditions, and uh, and some other things that sort of occurred independently in different islands and different cultures uh, in in the Americas and the Caribbean uh, on their own. But because the African Americans would embrace those cultures, of course, their white counterparts, well, not counterparts, the overlords, the, the, the slave owners and, and the non-slave owners that were white would sort of reflexively be against any of those traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took a lot longer for it to break through. I don't know what the breakthrough point was, but obviously it broke through. Uh, things are really sketchy on that, but... Uh, some of these cultures and and these religious beliefs which are tied to Halloween did uh, were used even after the Civil War uh, and they were part of the you know sort of the the boogeyman uh, scary stuff that, that allowed laws the reconstruction laws to be as uh, terrible as they were and, and, and items like that so now we're going to move off of that sort of heavy stuff um, because that's not what this show is necessarily about. It was just sort of unavoidable. But to take us on our story, the interesting part, well, this was all interesting, at least to me, and I hope to everyone else. Well, before we break into that, Bobby's, do you want to weigh in on anything? I've, I've been giving like a little speech here. I think you covered it pretty much. Okay, I will continue. So the interesting thing to me was that when I first started doing the research, I actually didn't stumble upon the European stuff. For whatever reason, whatever links I clicked to started taking me to other places, and not purposefully, but all of these places were in the Southern Hemisphere, different cultures, also celebrating similar types of events, but the same time of year, which wouldn't make sense because their seasons were changing too, but not summer to winter or fall to winter. It would be spring to summer or summer to spring, but whatever it was, it was warm. So it wasn't the same kind of light and dark, hot and cold type of situation. Nevertheless, things were going on at the same time, even though in the Southern Hemisphere, if you, if you went by the same uh, physical reasons, uh, their Halloween should be really in May. But okay. that's not the case. Uh, it, it's been the same, and it predates European contact. And that just made me really go down a few rabbit holes. And without there being a spoiler, but being a little bit of a tease, 
And because we're with the Inhumans, there is an extraterrestrial component to this. It always comes back around the aliens. Well, I'm going to leave it at extraterrestrial. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna drag it to aliens. <laughs> I hope you do. That's good. That'll be excellent. Um, but yeah, there is an extraterrestrial component, which is the only thing that really makes sense in all of these contexts. So, let's take a few examples. Peru. They have a festival called, and I'm sure I'm gonna mash up this pronunciation as well. Aya Marque Killa. Three words. A Y A. Second word, M-A-R-C-A-Y. Third word, K-I-L-L-A, which sounds like killer. It sounds so hardcore, man. It really does. <laughs> and, it, and this is even more hardcore because hardcore, it literally means in English translated to month of carrying corpses. <laughs> dark. Yeah, that's, that is, yeah, yeah, that is beautifully bad. dark. Yeah. yeah. So we're starting to see some of these commonalities that we like to stumble upon on both her shows are these collective memories, collective myths, collective, you know, sort of pan-cultural uh, phenomena. So there's similar uh, types of, of um, traditions in Tonga, other Pacific islands, also with the Australian Aborigines. In fact, the Australian Aborigines, there's a story called Water Girls of the Pleiades, mm. and that's a star system. Um, and there's also uh, some, in, in both northern and southern hemispheres, there's similar, uh, well, northern hemisphere, but not what you consider Indo-Eurocentric uh, um, uh, cultures, that there are, are uh, festivals and holidays with very similar concepts, again, before significant European contact, including the Hopi Indians, the Hindus, the Persians, the Japanese, and certain Guatemalan peoples as well. Um, and the common thread always seems to be honoring the dead and very often honoring the dead of flood survivors. So mm. there we go. We're back to the, the, the flood myth. Mm-hmm. Everything comes around to aliens and floods. So this is going to get better for you because in Mesopotamia, which obviously is well before there's any European contact because there were no people in Europe that could contact when there was Mesopotamia. Um, the month of what we call November, they called it Mordad, which translated to English means Angel of Death. So that's also pretty <laughs> badass. Yeah, I knew you would like that. And they had the festival of ascendancy of the Pleiades at midnight on October 31st. Mm. Egypt was dedicated to something called Al or At Ayar. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong also. Two words. I believe it's A-T. It's possible it's A-L. My handwriting is awful. Hyphen Hayar, which is H-Y-R. Uh, and this is where they commemorated a world-destroying deluge. Sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. And dead souls lost to a flood. This is parallel to a Hebrew story in the Talmud, and again, that aboriginal water girls of the Pleiades story. So, what are the Pleiades? It's a star system, often called the Seven Sisters or the Seven Stars of Death. So what happens when the Pleiades appear around October 31st and early November 
uh, at their highest point, their apex of the, uh, at the sky midnight, you can see the torrid meteor shower. So what the rationalization is, is that the meteor shower looked like souls sort of flying through the, the sky uh, in synchronization with the seven stars. And because that was everywhere, that's sort of how explains why all of these cultures during different times, different places in the world without contact with each other, all sort of came to the same conclusion, which even if that is actually correct, which there's no way of proving or disproving it necessarily, although some of the festivals talk about the Pleiades or the, um, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's P-L-E-I-A-D-E. I've always heard Pleiades. So have I, but I don't, you know, I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was Samhain. So. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Um, maybe there's a, a astronomer or at least a student of Greek who can correct us. Um, so there is an extraterrestrial component. Is it alien? I don't know. I'm going to let Bobby Anthem speculate a little bit on that. But that is, that, that's the Halloween stuff. And I thought it was really interesting how to, it had this extraterrestrial component. Um, and a lot of it tied to floods, which, you know, floods happened around the world at different times, yeah. presumably because of different climate change, but also, uh, you know, the ice ages when glaciers would recede and, and presumably overflow rivers and inland seas and, and, you know, and, and, you know, take out coastal cities and communities and, uh, you know, uh, probably with some disastrous effects when there were mudslides and, and all the other wonderful stuff that happens with that. So, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, I don't think it all happened at the same time. I think it probably happened at different times based on latitudes. Right. Uh, um, well, well, does that dictionary it... give us phonetics, Professor? <laughs> Uh, well, according to the the vocal recording, it's called Pleiades. Pleiades. See, I'm screwing this up. I am not a professional. I, I hey, <laughs> we we get things wrong all the time. Okay. Well, all right. Well, that's the end of that's the end of my research and sort of my semi um, educational uh, path through the Garden of Doom into Halloween and getting us into the inhuman aspect of it that seems like a good time to open this up for some discussion well i really like how the the notes and the research that you did tied together a lot of things and before we started recording you said that there was a lot of stuff that people uh would probably already know and yeah there were there were bits and pieces of a lot of that stuff that i had heard before but i, I feel like you did a really good job of, of tying it all together and showing how how connected they all are you know with, with cultures that didn't interact with each other but all uh, recognizing the same basic things around the same time and and i was going to say it's kind of kind of creepy and kind of eerie how that came together but i mean it's all based around things that are supposed to be pretty creepy and eerie anyway um, yeah it's just crazy how the same event was interpreted by so many different peoples the same way. Yeah. They, I mean, they all saw it as, as like death and life coming where you could easily see a meteor shower and think that that was 
aliens coming or that was, you know, gods at war or, or something, but they all came to the same conclusion, which could bring it back to, well, aliens. Maybe someone told them how to interpret it. That's what I like to believe. Probably it's not likely, fun. but yeah. It's always fun. I mean, listen, there's, you know, intelligent design doesn't have to be a deity, or at least the deity is, you know, most major religions recognize right. that. They, they, you know, j just because we can figure out the commonality of, of what happened in the sky, you know, all around the earth doesn't explain why they all interpreted it similarly. So yeah. That was a little bit crazy. Yeah. So, so what do you guys think about when you think of Halloween? What are, what are your associations and, and, you know, trivial or deep or, you know, maybe it's been altered by this little lecture series we just did. I can say it's definitely been altered. Um, not too much though. I mean, there was like going back into the past when I was getting into paganism, there was, you know, that a similar history that you brought up. Although I never heard of like the, the other ones, like with the floods and, um, going into the southern hemisphere. Me either. The, it, it mostly it was Eurocentric. It's very Eurocentric when I look back at it. And we're going back to the time of the Druids and how they would um, put out offerings to appease the wandering spirits so they wouldn't stay in their um, – they wouldn't, like, hang around, you know, because uh, Halloween night was supposed to be when the veil between the living and the dead was at its thinnest. So there's that. And that was kind of – well, as a kid, Halloween was all about candy. And then, like I said, as I got older – I celebrated Halloween in a very different way and I would actually put out offerings of apples or, you know, something or other for the spirits that were passing by from this world and moving on to the next. Yeah. And you know what? I, I always associated the Salem witch trials with Halloween, probably because that's when those movies would show up or when we'd cover it in class. And I'm not sure if they're related in any direct or indirect direct way i mean i suppose it's possible that people who brought these beliefs or had these beliefs did their festivals in new hampshire and massachusetts and new england and the puritan majority sort of took that as witchcraft yeah and jeff the, the funny thing about that is though um a lot of the what happened in salem was mostly over land disputes and people who just didn't like one another so they just claimed <laughs> witch <laughs> um there there were there was actually very little witchcraft done there so or maybe the witches won and that's just what they want you to think yeah right. maybe yeah yeah I or mean, the I, witches I, I, were in hiding and they just let the the stupid people among them say oh this person i saw her dancing in the forest with satan you know that kind of thing i i, I do think that if we uh look at most disputes throughout history and right now it's usually a battle over resources whether it's food water land or oil or gold it's it's you know sort of one of those things and there's usually some sort of religious or other kind of boogeyman moral imperative to sort of uh, uh get the masses riled up because otherwise you'd just be doing the the work of the you know the gentry yeah, but, we're, but we're no longer just chucking people in water to see if they float. Or putting stones on top of them. Yeah. Or, or measuring them on giant scales with ducks. <laughs> yeah. You know, they did have the toe cups for a supposed witch. 
like they um there was something that I was reading that if you had cuffed their thumbs and their toes together, they could not cast a spell or curse you or something like that. It would take all their power away, which is utterly ridiculous, but it's hilarious at the same time. Who, who came to that conclusion? <laughs> <laughs> look, look in the Malleus Maleficarum. Um, they've got ways to, like, how to find witches, um, how to dispose of witches. It's, it's fucking crazy. I'm sorry, look in, look in the what? The Malleus Maleficarum, the Hammer of the Witches. Yeah, why don't you go into that for Jeff? Of course, I just I just wasn't sure which book you were talking about. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know too much about it. I just know there were some of the most ridiculous things that I've ever heard. I'm actually going to look that up right now. Yeah. Actually, Bobby Anthem, I were, we were going to meet up and we were going to go into the vault and um, and consult with the Malleus Maleficarum. Dinosaurus <laughs> later on and, and study that. <laughs> we're going to do some incantations. You know, there were, there, I went down a, a little bit of another rabbit hole with this because I was sort of stumbled upon some of these things accidentally and then some on purpose, like things that I associate with Halloween that really didn't have anything to do with Halloween, like Salem mm-hmm. and like witches. So I stumbled upon black cats and the whole thing about nine lives all comes from or at least apparently comes from a a poem or a book by a guy named James Baldwin who wrote that a witch can occupy the body of a cat well its cat because it has to be its cat it's familiar nine times and that's the maximum amount of time so that's that's where the cat gets five nine lives so the cat actually doesn't have nine lives the witch has nine lives after that I guess the cat dies or or the the witch can no, no longer use that cat to uh, live, which begs the question: Can the witch just get another cat and keep extending this through? Uh, you know? Right. And maybe that's why uh, you know cat people are you know cat ladies are considered um, you know mm. witches because they have a lot right, of right because they're hoarding cats so that they can <laughs> li- essentially live forever. Right. Well, he's like they're hoarding cats. Yeah, I that's, love that's that. like a little immortality. Um, I, I'm also wondering if there's a difference between a house cat and a tiger, or you know. So right, I I could not find the answers to that. Maybe because um, it, it, it it's hard to believe that you're the first person to think of anything so absurd. But if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be this crazy brain right here. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I stumbled upon was the the bad luck of walking under a ladder. Mm-hmm. And that also has zero to do with Halloween at all. And it's not exactly clear where it's from, but the, if we want to call it this, the, the scholarly consensus is that it dates back to ancient Egypt, that when the ladder was up against the wall, it formed a circle, and, uh, not a circle, a triangle. And triangles were sacred, and you don't break the sacred triangles. That's... Mm. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, so it doesn't even, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a ladder. It can be anything of that think, shape. You, you would think, but I, I guess if they were doing work, they needed some sort of ladder or scaffolding. You have to right. put a, a pole up. I mean, I guess a plank of wood, but were there really planks? I, I, I don't I know. Imagine. This is, this is what I found, but I guess whatever it is, it would be, you know, that shape and, yeah. Hey, maybe if you got a, a big thick log, but it was crooked, you could walk under that, and that wasn't considered a bad luck. So right. that, that could be possible as well. 
Then there was one other, and that was the number 13. So here's the thing. When, if Dan Brown is to be believed, the number 13 became uh, unlucky corresponding to Friday the 13th, because so that's when uh, I think Philip II, you know, betrayed the Templars in France. Um, but the number 13 being unlucky is like a whole bunch of really interesting theories on it. So, of course, we have that Judas was the 13th diner at the Last Supper. So, you know, obviously Judas, as the story goes, betrayed Jesus, and so bad luck. But well before that, in Norse mythology, in Valhalla, Loki, the the mischief maker, the trickster, was the 13th god to come to the table in Norse mythology, which was sort of a considered bad luck as well. It, it, it broke the balance of the table of the gods, and bad things came from that. So, you know, that's I obviously... Was... Go ahead. Not aware, I was not aware of that. I don't. I don't know as much about uh, Norse, uh, the Norse tales uh, as I would like to. Um, I, I, I got into a little bit of that when I was younger, but I was more into the the Greek stories. Um, so my my knowledge of the Norse tales are um, uh, much more limited. So yeah, I didn't know that part. That's that's interesting. I didn't either, and there's a good reason why you would know the Norse tales much less than the Greek tales because. Norse mythology is all oral tradition, uh, and Greek mythology was largely written, uh, you know, by a bunch of playwrights and, and authors. So there's a big difference there. Uh, sort of similar to some of the other things we were talking about, like the druidical druids. That that's mostly oral tradition, if not entirely oral tradition. In fact, um, only the druids and royalty were allowed to read. Nobody else could read or write. If they, if, if regular people could read or write, it was illegal. It was illegal to even have books and scrolls um, in, in uh, sort of Roman and pre-Roman Britain. Knowledge is power. Yeah, knowledge is power. That's, a, that's exactly right. I wonder if that's where that came from, too. So the other thing about 13 was that it, it seems like it, it, it even goes past that. And apparently 12 is considered the perfect number, and it just might be simply that the number that came after 12 was imperfect and disordered, right. and it might yeah. be as simple as that. Uh, because in other cultures, the 13 is sacred. Like uh, in some of the Mesoamerican cultures, like the staircases up the step pyramids and ziggurats, mm. it's 13 stairs at a time. There's usually four flights between levels, because the sacred number is 52, which is 13 times um, 4, obviously. And I think we talked about this before. There's really 13, there really should be 13 months. There's 13 right. moon cycles in a year, but it's sort of been skipped. So thir poor 13 has sort of always been considered bad luck. And, and I'm one, I, I could not trace the origin of it. I only got back as far as, well, I don't know which was first, Egypt or... Norse, um, but <laughs> poor 13, um, in, in some cultures just considered unlucky, but in others considered very lucky. So I guess if you are a Mayan or an Aztec, then 13 is all right by you. But for the rest of us, it's sort of considered bad luck. Yeah. yeah. It's, a luck it's a lucky number for bakers. <laughs> yeah. And with, with that, I wanted to kind of take it back to the cat thing because I had remembered reading something about the black cat crossing your path and 
apparently that's only a thing in the United States. Um, places such as the UK, Japan, and Australia, it's the opposite. It is believed as a sign of good luck and prosperity if a black cat enters your house, if a black cat meets you at your front door, or if you stroke a black cat three times. If you dream about a black cat, it's a sure sign that good luck is coming your way. So that's pretty cool. It, apparently, it's only a United States thing where black cats crossing the path is kind of bad luck superstition. It's also further than that because there's some sub-beliefs in that, that that's similar because I'm, I'm familiar with what you talked about. Um, some of it from before this week of, of going in down different barn holes. But one is that if the cat is approaching you, it's good luck. But if the cat is is moving further from you, it's bad luck. Oh, yeah. If the, if the cat turns its back on you, that's bad luck. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if they lift their tail and spray you, you know, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Then it's, it's not a cat. <laughs> that's a skunk. <laughs> right. Well... Pepe Le Pew, that, you know, was, was always he chasing could, that poor little cat. He couldn't tell the difference. No, uh, he, yeah, he was I in see. love. Love is blind. Love, yeah, that's what they call it. <laughs> love is blind, but still has a, a scent of smell, apparently. <laughs> sense of smell. I put scent and scent of smell. Cause, uh, uh, what am I, what's one going on here? One in the I, same, man. Yeah, I, I think maybe I'm having a stroke. I'm not sure. It's an olfactory. Olfactory, yes. <laughs> Yes, we don't want to be malodorous. Don't want to smell like an old factory. No. Yeah, definitely don't <laughs> want to smell like an old... That's a good mnemonic device. Don't want to smell like an old factory. <laughs> I'm going to remember that. Um, or some other sort of wacky superstitions that might be out there. Oh, the, that buildings don't have 13th floors. Yeah. That's well, yeah, that's, that's all just tied into the uh, 13 being thought of as an unlucky number. Unless you're playing the the Korean elevator game. Yeah, which I will never do. Okay, well now you've got to talk about that. Oh, Bobby, go for it. You know you know <laughs> it way better than I do. Well, I don't really uh Jeff, are you are you familiar with the story of Elisa Lamb? I am not. Do tell. Oh my goodness. Okay, so this uh this young lady Blaze, when did this happen? Uh 2013, I think. I think it was 2013. Oh, I I think so. D don't quote us on that because we're not 100% sure. And, I, I believe uh, it was 2013. Yeah. yeah, just let me pull it up real quick. I'm kind of surprised you haven't heard of the Korean elevator game, Jeff. And I'm not I'm not saying this like this is something that everybody knows about because uh, I only learned of it a, a few years ago. Okay, yeah, um, February 9th, 2013. You're correct. It, okay. it definitely sounds familiar, and I, and I have a feeling that if you talk enough it, it will strike a responsive chord, but right now, when you tell me, I mean, I think it had to do something with some kids that were jumping around in an elevator in like a hotel or office building. But I, maybe I'm confusing that with like one of those Final Destination movies. Obviously, it started in Korea, and uh, it take it, you have to do this in a building with an elevator, and the building has to have at least ten floors, I believe. Yep. At least one person, but it can be played with more. A public building with at least 10 floors and an elevator, of course. So to start the game, the player needs to enter the elevator. And when you enter the elevator, you have to press the fourth floor. Do not proceed if someone enters the elevator or if one of the players leave the elevator. If somebody does that, you have to start from the beginning. 
Number two, you press the second floor. Do not proceed if someone enters the elevator or if someone leaves the elevator. Uh, press the sixth floor. Uh, same same rules apply. Back to the second floor. Uh, and then to the tenth floor. Let's see. Yep, same rules. Uh, then you press the fifth floor. Um, not And uh, the seventh step, if a woman enters the elevator at the fifth floor, do not look at her, do not speak, and do not talk to her. That woman is not human. If you do, she will keep you for her own. Um, uh, and then proceed to step eight. You press the first floor button. The elevator will either ascend or descend. If the elevator reaches the first floor, leave and do not look back. If the elevator reaches the 10th floor, leave and do not respond to the woman if she asks, where are you going or what's wrong? Her voice will be high when she asks that. And again, do not proceed if someone enters the elevator or one of the players leaves the elevator. And you are in the other world at this point. Wow. Yeah, the game, the game takes you to another dimension. And if you screw it up, then your, your, your life is pretty much, pretty much screwed. I don't know how to undo it. Well, I mean, I would assume that everybody wins because you see them again, and if someone you don't see again, I guess either you well, never see again or they've been replaced with a demon, right? No, see, that's the thing. They don't, they don't necessarily, if you screw it up, like, it's not like the person is dead or they disappear or whatever. Not necessarily anyway. Um, but they may have a, uh, I don't know, if, I don't know if you want to call it a demon, but some inhuman, not not blazer me, but some inhuman entity attached to you for I don't know how long, maybe for the rest of your life I don't know, but they make life very difficult for you. Okay, did you guys see um, season two of The Terror and Lovecraft Country? I saw season two of The Terror. Okay, and so that, that whole episode, that whole season was about sort of like possessing demons. I wonder if it's. Well, that that was the Yure who um, possessed the possessed the could only possess the body of a descendant of a, of the bloodline. I think it was, mm-hmm. um, and that's why she was stalking her great grandson, oh, so right. she could so she could be reborn in the body of the baby that was coming. Right. I I don't remember it that well. I thought I thought she didn't want to be alone in in her little uh, paradise world, which was lonely but your version makes a whole lot more sense well that may Uh, be true as well because she did kill uh her ancestor because her ancestor was like driving her wild she wouldn't let her she wanted to go back to the world of the living but she was like no you can't you you've got to stay in the spirit world this is where we belong this is the little uh haven that i've made for us you know don't don't step on the sand because you'll get sucked into the ground and the demons will eat you Uh, it was just a it was a lot it was a big trip um, but I do remember the the mother wanting to take over the not the mother sorry the the dead wanting to take over the baby so it could be reborn because it did want to go back into the world of the living. Yeah, one of the things I've I've noticed a little bit about Asian ghost stories versus sort of American or maybe European ghost stories is that Asian ghost stories are are almost like misplaced or desperate love. It's like they're they're sort of sad and beautiful and scary at the right. same time where American ones tend to just be angry. Yeah. Mm. Vengeful. Yeah. Vengeful, yeah. Though I will say the, the, the two um Netflix series, the Hill House and Bly Manor, 
were very Asian in that regard, that the hauntings were based on geography and family and, and love and loneliness and sort of sadness, um, which I, I, I love both those shows. Um, I sort of like that. I, I read a book called, um, it's, it's called Under Heaven. It's by Guy Gabriel Kay, who writes a lot of sort of science fiction and fantasy books, and it involved ghosts also, and it was a, was it a Japanese or Chinese? I think it was Chinese. Um, but it was sort of similar. It was, uh, you know, the spirits were definitely tied to things, but it was always about love and, and trying to complete things rather than to haunt and <laughs> torment. That got me very off track. So, okay. And no, in Lovecraft Country, there was the Vietnamese demon. Um, oh, no, that was uh, Korean. She was Korean? Wasn't he yep. in? Oh, right, Korean. You're right. Yeah. Exactly, Korean. He was in the, he Korean, was in the War. Korean War. Right. Um, and it was the, the spirit of the fox, which I didn't get originally, That why she was looking at the fox. Uh, I, I never put together the tails were fox tails. <laughs> I just of, thought it was hair that was coming out of her body. Well, she called them her tails. And, yeah. and then I think the second to last episode or whatever, Maybe we should talk a little bit about Lovecraft Country. <laughs> yeah, the the um, fox there is called the Kumiho. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty cool because, like, I'm a big anime fan, and I watched uh, Naruto. And so I'm just going to geek out for a moment. And, what? like, the nine-tailed fox was called Kurama. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool because Japan has a nine-tailed fox, and apparently Korea has a nine-tailed fox. So, yeah, I found that really, really cool. That is cool. So, yeah, so we've got these Asian demons who possess. And and you can do a game which can, if you do it wrong, you get possessed by a demon for some indefinite period of time. I assume you there's no way to get your soul back, or is there is there always an uh, antidote? I don't know that much. And it's not necessarily uh, possession, but they do attach themselves to you. I know that much. Yeah, like I couldn't what, find the, any of that information, so I, I don't know. Yeah, as far as reversing it, I don't know. Maybe you're just screwed for the rest of your life or longer. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, um, while you're tearing apart, people get in your way. Yeah, but it's just it's it's not a game that I want to play at all. You know, uh, whether it's real or fake or whatever. I mean, and, I know most likely it's not a real thing, but still, either way, I don't want to do it. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't think I want to do it also. And it's just one of the many reasons I, I doubt I'll be in Korea playing elevator games. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You don't have to, I mean, you could do it, it as long as you're in a building that has at least 10 floors. You know, it can be anywhere. And that's what ties it into, um, Elisa Lamb and, uh, you definitely need to look up her story. Uh, you might want to, uh, you might want to cover her story in the garden. Well, we're doing a show now, so, you know, and you've mentioned it a few times, so I think you're, you're obligated now to tell all of our listeners about Elisa Lamb. <laughs> well, the thing is, right now, there's too much of that story to get into, and I don't have the information in front of me, and I don't want to get it wrong. Unfortunately, there was a, um, Unfortunately, there's a young lady who lost her life in this, and the, it, there's just a lot of mystery surrounding uh, her death. Um, but it is tied into the uh, Korean elevator game, and 
there's there's video, some pretty disturbing video that you can find on YouTube uh, of Elisa Lamb, the last time she was ever seen. Because um, shortly after the disturbing video, um, she uh, she disappeared and uh, discovered dead. And no one's done like a movie based on this or a TV series based on this. This seems like something that that somebody would have a field day with. Well, actually, American Horror Story Hotel actually kind of loosely based the hotel on the hotel that Elisa Lamb was staying at and how there were, you know, spirits and other weird occurrences going on there. Spirits in the Night by Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Very good. Um, That is spooky. I'm I'm intrigued. Good, good tease there. Um, yeah, I'll look into it. It might be something that the Garden of Doom needs to visit upon or have visited upon it. You never know with the Garden. Um, do you want to talk about Lovecraft Country or another time? Oh, well, we could talk about Lovecraft Country, sure. Okay, I want to get your opinions on it before – because I'm not sure I've sorted out all of my thoughts on it. I think hearing other people will actually help me put – things into place okay well you already know how i feel about the ending if they were going for shock value and that wow moment then i'd say they got me but i mean other than that i was speaking to bobby about it and i was like you know me talking does that make me sound racist talking about that thinking that it's fucked up that (laughs) uh pretty much the all magic gets taken away from white people and just only white people because apparently they've had it the whole time and now now there's another race just hoarding magic i guess and and it's only for them and so yeah bobby said that's a not me being racist but that's a little bit racist for the show i guess yeah well i thought it was a little trite i mean obviously magic was a metaphor for power but i mean you know, A, the world isn't just black and white. I mean, I was, when, when she said it, you know, a, f- a few things came to mind. First, like, where do other people that are not white come into it? Are they included in the, in the magic or are they not? I mean, where's, you know, Latinx? Where are Asian peoples? Where's, you know, the Middle Eastern peoples and, and Semitic peoples? Uh, <laughs> oh, that was my question. Are, are Jews who haven't really been, you know, the, the dynamic of Jews being considered white is really less than 100 years old. So are, are Jews part of the magic or are they left out of the magic? Um, so I, I have a lot of sort of questions on that. I don't know that anyone can answer it. But the other thought that came to me was, and I think it's answered in the show, but what about mixed race people? Right. I was going to say, what about my kids? Are they half magic? <laughs> now, I think it was sort they, of They can only access the half of the magic. I mean, they never really addressed it directly, but obviously the, the woman lead, I mean, she's obviously of mixed race somewhere, but we already know that, at least in one future, her child has magic and, and writes the book about the histories, but as they stress many times, that's only one possible future, but nevertheless, he still would be mixed race but in the show they never acknowledged her as mixed race so just because she has had lighter skin doesn't mean her character had to be as well so i I, i'm not sure about right your kids and i'm not sure you know 
as as people get as people get more diluted, so to speak, or more mixed, as we all slowly become closer to looking like the rock and Jennifer Lopez, <laughs> does magic get weaker <laughs> or, or does it get uh, is it more egalitarian and, and available to everybody? Yeah, that's yeah. weird. And you make a good point. I yeah, never thought of that. Holy shit. Um, yeah, you would think now I'm starting to think about like underworld and how the vampires wanted to keep their bloodline pure and only vampires. So they couldn't mix with the werewolves. It was considered, um, a crime, basically a crime against the species. Um, it is, it is a crime against so, the species. <laughs> I'm thinking of that in the same way where it's like, if you, if you're diluting the bloodlines, and now the bloodline is uh, – now these people are the elites instead of the other people being the elites and the owners of magic. Like how does that break down past generations? Like do they only have access to certain types of magic and that kind of thing? And honestly, I can't answer that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And like I sort of figured out, figured out early on that the woman and the, the blonde guy were the same person. I, I – I didn't figure out exactly how it became that way, obviously. Well, maybe not obviously, but I didn't. I I just thought that, that, you know, it was sort of like a brother and sister and sort of like in Legion, how that the guy had the younger girl living inside him and he was like the scientist and she was sort of like the the ninja. Um, Oh, yeah. I thought it was sort of like that, that they could just shape shift that she was both male and female. I probably should have mentioned uh, a little earlier. I've not seen the show, <laughs> so. Oh, I thought you watched it already. No, no, okay. I've not seen. I've not seen a single second of the show at all. <laughs> Do you want to? Spoiler alert. <laughs> a little late. A little too well, late, but still. You know, I've had concussions. I'll forget all about it by the end of this conversation. Okay. Well, I'll just say without giving away too many spoilers. I thought the first episode was exact, almost exactly what I thought it was going to be, except it took a little bit longer to get there. I thought episode two was exactly what the series was going to be, except I figured that episode two was going to be, if not the rest of the season, like six or seven episodes. And then the rest of the season just was sort of like a bloody mess to me. It was like, if you ever read British science fiction where it starts out really interesting but then it goes into another dimension, and you're still interested. But then in that other dimension, then there's talking dogs that have their own world. And then on the talking dogs, there's talking fleas that have their own world. And then those talking fleas talk to another dimension in the future that has their own world. And it's supposed to all be tied together. And at some point, you're just like, I don't care about keeping all of this together yeah. anymore. And that's sort of how I feel about most British science fiction. It's just like... like Terry Pratchett and uh, uh, what's his name, China Mel- Melville and uh, a few uh, Douglas Adams. It's just, it just, it always goes like, not just one level too much. Too much like even Bernard Lumpley uh, with the vampire books. Like it starts out great and then it goes one level past my comfort level. I'm like, okay, I, I can ride with this. But then it goes another and then another and another. I'm just like, I'm out. I'm done. So that's what, sort of how I felt with this show, that there was just like keeping all these levels and they were only like I thought they were a bunch of different shows and they just sort of had the thinnest of line to try to keep them together as one story. Yeah, for 
for a few moments, I thought it was going to be an anthology series because each episode was kind of a standalone and they had introduced like uh, when the little girl got cursed and she was seeing the the evil twins or whatever the hell they are and they were following her everywhere. Slowly. Uh, yeah, that, that kind of reminded me of being like something of its own episode even though she was part of the family and so on and so forth. I did like the first episode at the end when the Shogoths showed up and they just started devouring everything. I mean, I was like, I hope I see these things in every episode because they yeah, look no, so was, damn cool. Yeah, that was fucking amazing. I, I wanted monsters every episode after. Yeah. Which uh, we're but not going to tell Bobby Anthem whether there were or weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they kind of decided to go... Um, to lean heavy on the politics of that time because apparently... Well, not apparently, but it is it is based in 1950s Jim Crow America, and so it's very politically charged show. Sure, and that and that's okay. I mean, I happen to think that Watchmen did it better, but it's not like you know show creators talk to each other and say, "Oh, well, you did it. I'm not covering this this story my way." So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I just think that Watchmen did you know a, a similar theme better. But yeah, there was there was a lot of that, and and you know, in this time that we're in, so since it's a podcast, I, I think we should say it's October thirty first, twenty twenty. So in this time we're in, you know, it's it's hard to say during this time of you know division and and really a lot of racial tension, a lot of it very justified, um, to say something was heavy handed, but it, it was a little heavy handed. But I'll also confess that I have seen so many shows lately with similar themes sort of in this like 40 year time window that I was almost sort of sick of it before that. And, and not, not just the black and white dynamic. There was, there was the Latin white dynamic in um, city of angels, the, the set, the penny dreadful show. Uh, there was the alternate reality Jew, Nazi American story in Plot Against America on HBO, uh, Watchmen, which was wonderful, uh, but there was there was like a couple of other shows, and, and some of them were smaller and British shows and whatever. But you know, obviously, you're attracted to similar themes, so I, I you know I watch these shows, and I think Bobby Anthem earlier said he's a completist. I'm sort of the same way too. It takes me a long time to quit on something, so I sort of felt like I've watched five or six shows with similar themes sort of loosely between 1920 and 1960 and it was just one too many and I was hoping for more Cthulhu and more yeah. Lovecraft and, and more monsters yes yeah more monsters I, I, I don't the, mind the, the, the social aspect to it I mean I understand and I appreciate it I well, understand that Jordan I'm just Peele tired of it I'm, I'm really tired of it because I feel like right now there's so much division in the world that we don't need the television shows kind of preaching to us that same thing and making us feel bad. I mean, if you're like me, then you probably already feel bad. Well, the thing is, you want to, I mean, it's in the news. You don't want to see it in the news, but it's in the news every day. It's like, it's in, it's in real life. So you want to go to entertainment to right. escape from the ugly realities of the world. And not I know exactly that, what you just, mean. Except I have to tell you, I'm of two minds with that because I understand exactly what both of you are saying, and I and I agree with that to an extent. But I also kind of feel that given the times we're in, and given the division, and given how frustrating some of the division is, 
that I almost think that I shouldn't be able to escape it even in the entertainment. So I, I think that maybe I that. It, maybe it's not wrong that I'm being hammered over the head with it in the entertainment venue with people I want to see succeed with, with Jordan Peele, whose work I generally enjoy and, and taking Lovecraft, which, you know, I, is something that, you know, I certainly enjoyed and have memories of, but only vague memories of. And, and certainly when I'm 12 years old, I, I, you know, if I was recognizing the, the racism and things like that, it was, it, it just wasn't registering on my 11 year old white suburban, right. you know, brain. Yeah. Well, I, um, as Bobby said, when I explained to him about the ending of Lovecraft Country, he told me that maybe that was, uh, the director's middle finger to HP Lovecraft, you know, for being a huge racist. I think, I think that's partly what that was. You know, if not completely, I think there is at least a little bit of that in there. I was okay with the end. Um, because if the series doesn't get renewed, it's almost it like it ended. It's it, it's fine. The story's over. If they have another season, though, I don't think I'd be so. This is the wrong word, but I can't think of another one. I won't be so forgiving about it being heavy-handed a second season. I mean, I think it's made its point. That's and and at some point, I, I want to watch a show because I like the characters and I, and I like the plot. I mean, none of the characters were really all that likable besides Uncle George, who you know. Well, I don't want to give any spoilers, but that was the Courtney B. Vance character. He was exceptionally likable. The the little girl was very likable. Um, and her mother, Hipponita, I think was her name, or Hippolyta, she, she, she was less likable, but she got more likable. Wonder Woman's mother. Zanier. Yeah, um, well, when she, when she became, when she traveled through space and time and came back with blue hair, I mean... I kept the blue hair. Yeah, I kept the blue hair. <laughs> nice. and, and and nobody even made mention of it. No, they didn't. Which <laughs> I thought <laughs> is strange because how many people colored their hair um, blue back in the back in, in those days? You in know? 1955, I would say zero. <laughs> they I, would. I understand that the, the little girl strange. drew it in the in her cartoon book. Yeah, and, you know, I, I mean, I connected that, but still, I mean, she's. I guess if you've been through space and time for 200 years and are basically a superhero that you're not really care what you don't care what people are thinking. You, you stop giving any Fs. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Atticus or anybody else, they didn't even make mention of it. Like, Hey, you're back and your hair is blue. Right. Nobody, nobody said a thing. And, and Atticus wasn't really that likable. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know the actor's name, but he was Omar in the wire. So of course I'm going to love him forever. But he, he he wasn't that likable. Even the even the girlfriend, she she wasn't likable, really not at all. She was he, not to look at. He seemed very milk toast. Um, he was like one at one moment he was very strong, and then the next moment he was very emotional. Yeah, he he would cry a lot, and, and yeah. he was also you know he was intellectual but impetuous. I mean. Listen, I, I know this was part of what Peel's story was talking about, but everybody was too intelligent. I mean, there, there's no family where all of all of those folks are that intelligent on Earth. The Einstein family, isn't it? I mean, every one of them was like, you know, uh, Indiana Jones combined with James Bond. They all, you know, quick minds, 
you know, want, you know, they they could d- decode things. I, I have no idea how. I think was it Hipponita or Hippolyta? Hippolyta. Hippolyta. I mean, I I just she unlocked the orrery and and it was sort of just like skimmed over how she knew how to do that. Yeah. Be, um. This was very national treasury because yes. they were unlo- solving a lot of puzzles and uh, they had that Indiana Jones moment there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. She was doing a lot of research. So where did she learn that? Did she learn that from Uncle George when they were together? And because he seemed to be the one who was the, the guy who figured all that stuff out. Yeah, he was he was the patriarch that obviously instilled the love of knowledge and and getting knowledge through science fiction to uh atticus and it, and it seemed like uh, I, I don't know the dad's name uh montrose that montrose sort of shared that but i guess he never shared it with atticus growing up but he sort of kept it to himself like a lot of other secrets that he had that he was also a scholar so you know i i, I get that um but it they never it was sort of a surprise when Hippolyta became sort of the scholar, too. I mean, she was always cool and understanding. And and by cool, I don't mean like the Fawn School, but I mean cool-headed, level-headed. But it never really... I mean, she always seemed to have the traditional wife role where if if George said he was going out on a guy trip, he went out on a guy trip. Uh, You know, and she stayed home and, you know, watched D and then took care of house and made sure that, you know, the business ran and things like that. Um, and, and he was sort of did the man stuff, but as it turns out, she was extremely capable even before she became, you know, uh, the master of all space and time. (laughs) I can hear Dr. Who theme music playing right now. Yeah. I I thought the show was, I mean, in some ways I thought it was clumsy and like if somebody said, should I watch it? I think at this point I would almost say no. Maybe watch the first episode and the second to final episode, because those those are where you see the most uh, the most Shogoth action there. <laughs> well, if you just want to see the giant vampire dogs, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, I, I don't know that somebody would understand it. I mean, there's, there's got to be easier ways to just see monsters killing people. Yeah. Well, you probably have to watch the show a a number of, I mean, not the show, the series a few times, and then maybe we'll understand all the nuances of it. But watching it for the first time, it's, it became very hard to follow after the third episode for me. Yeah. It got clunky. I mean, it's like, it felt like, like you said, there was one episode that was very Indiana Jones, National Treasure. Um, Then there was another episode that was sort of like, you know, almost like um, Mississippi Burning, and then there was an episode that was uh, maybe more like a, a James Bond kind of thing, or you know, a, a cop show. It's, it's just each one sort of was felt like its own movie that that wasn't really well tied together. At least I didn't find it well tied together. But you know, I'm not the dumbest guy in the world. Oh, I do have a question. Uh, something that made I just thought of right now. <laughs> when, I thought uh, you were going to say the way you said that. I thought you'd say, "Oh, you are the dumbest guy in the world." <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that, man. <laughs> that that one would have been great. You should have. <laughs> um, when Christina spelled herself, and then she paid somebody to do some things to her, 
Um, what was the purpose of that? Because they never really explained it. Is that was that in preparation for the final ritual or something? I I, I just thought that it was something that there was some sort of character development that they left in the show and they dropped the rest of it. I, there, there was no payoff to that though. That it was, it was just kind of there. Yeah, and then it, it, and, and, then it and wasn't. there were a few things like that where I, I feel like the show probably had like twenty episodes in it, but it, it you know, the, uh, and a lot of it was to develop the characters. And at some point, they just said, "Nah, we're doing ten episodes. That's it. Cut all. You know, the, this stuff is getting edited out." So I know what you're talking about. That was my only thought about it. I, I don't know them, right? You, you. There might, there's somebody, you know what? I never listened to the companion podcast about it. Maybe they, they went into things, but I didn't like it enough to, to do so. And the first two episodes were pretty straightforward. So I didn't feel like I needed to do it. And by episode three, I sort of felt like, huh, this has already jumped the shark. <laughs> Bobby's probably sitting back there saying, I don't think I want to see this. Well, <laughs> I, I'm not, I, you know, I, we all have limited time for, entertainment and recreation i'm not if he said to me jeff you're the ones deciding what i do for 10 or 11 hours am i watching lovecraft country i'd probably say no there's other things you can do with your time that that, that's better and if you want to you know get that theme if you want to you know feel that sort of racial division but in a more entertaining and, and in a better way then watch watchmen the, the series Watchmen, not, not the movie, um, because that was fabulous. That's what I've heard. I, I thought it was excellent. I mean, it, it, I thought it was unbelievable television, and I'm sad that it's not renewed. But it's I'm, sort of. I'm okay. surprised it wasn't renewed from because I I have not heard a single negative thing about it. Here's what happened: it was renewed, but the creative team left. They said they were going to leave. They were going to do other projects. And HBO decided that nobody else would do it just right, or I okay. guess they try to figure out who that would be, and maybe it would take oh, years okay. to get to season two. So that they, was probably the up, best best course of action then. Yeah, saw what happened with Game of Thrones. Yeah, so they made the right choice. Probably. I mean, we'll never know, but I mean, I, I don't think that anybody would waste their time would consider their time wasted by watching it just because the ending wasn't a complete encapsulated ending i mean when is anything completely encapsulated in life anyway i mean only breaking bad really had a a perfect ending and they still felt the need to do a movie Mm. i guess the sopranos was a pretty perfect ending too Mm. some people would uh (laughs) take issue with that i know but they're wrong (laughs) (laughs) so uh, well we covered a lot of halloween which is the reason we came here today so i'm pleased with that because i actually learned some things man i wasn't sure if i was going to actually learn things but i did uh and it put everything right in a line you laid everything right out for me so that's pretty cool um we talked some other spooky stuff we talked some uh, superstition and got to the roots of those things, but not the square root of thirteen, because that makes it um. That's one of the reasons it's unlucky. Ah, uh, that makes it worse. Yeah. So um, yeah, man. So uh, we we did a lot of good here. You guys talked Lovecraft. I didn't know what the hell you were talking about. <laughs> so um, 
We're all good, man. What do you What do you have, Blades? Well, I actually learned many things that I did not even know about Halloween. And by no means did I think that I knew everything, but I thought I knew a lot of a lot more about Halloween than your average everyday person. But it turns out I know just as little as everybody else. Uh, <laughs> not anymore. That's my take on it. Yeah, but that, it was really cool to know of these other cultures mostly based in the Southern Hemisphere, like you said, that um, actually celebrated the dead in their own way and around the same time. Yeah, I mean, that was news to me as well. I, you know, I learned most of this in, within the last, you know, one week, you know, calendar-wise. But listen, I really appreciate you allowing the Garden of Doom to take its, uh, its hovercraft and visit the Uncanny Valley uh, this week. And, you know, we're going to ship ourselves back over to the Garden of Doom. And if you want to check us out, please check out myself and Shaheen at Garden of Doom. Shaheen also has a podcast called Breaking the Apocalypse, which is very funny. Also mm-hmm. talking about the apocalypse, but from a, a much more comedic standpoint with uh, a couple of mutual friends of ours, uh, Bisho O'Brien and the John Draper. Um <laughs> Also, you can check out uh, Shaheen's artwork, Nuclear Heat Graphics, and uh, was a chair shot tease. So yep. he's got some great stuff. He does commissions uh, on artwork, so check his stuff out. Hit him up. Does really high-quality work. I've got something hanging in my home that he's done as well. Um, also, I have a second podcast as well called Hammerlock Hangover. There's all of two episodes so far, but it's a wrestling podcast, so it's only been the last two Thursdays, so it's fairly timely, so give it a listen, and it's about an hour, hour and ten minutes long, so it's not a terribly long listen. Um, but yeah, I appreciate being here. Thank you, fellas. I really enjoyed myself. Anytime. Cool. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Blades, where can they find us? Well, you can go to your favorite podcatcher of choice and just look for the Inhuman Experience podcast. We are the one with the two faces in front of the pyramid, just in case you know, there's another one. <laughs> Um, (laughs) yeah and you can find us on twitter at our new handle at inhuman cafe go to iex underscore pod on instagram and you know follow us there check out our patreon at inhuman ex podcast you know we got a lot of cool stuff coming we just recently put something up yes (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious. Bobby Anthem tells a wonderful story about how he got an STD from a <laughs> potato. A potato may have given me herpes. <laughs> uh, uh, once again, that's patreon.com slash inhuman EX podcast. Somebody is a sugar high from too much candy. Uh, haven't even started on the candy yet, my friend. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, again, I always have fun with you guys. So, yeah, likewise. Well, Anthem, I've got to delete you from Facebook because apparently it isn't you. <laughs> Wait, man. Keep, keep, keep a close eye on uh, the guy who's supposedly me. I need to know what I'm up to. If he posts any photographs, look at them and see if he's got dreadlocks or if it's just uh, somebody's old mop. Okay. <laughs> Will do. All right. All right, guys. Take care. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.